0: the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast. My name is Mark, and I'm the pastor of the congregation of St. Thomas the Doubter, an independent ecumenical congregation for all people that embraces holy doubt, the importance of grace, and the power of solidarity in community. You can find out more about our congregation online at www.stthomascongregation.org. This podcast offers the scripture lessons and sermons from our Sunday evening services. In the future, it may also be a place for conversation and discussion on various issues of religion and faith. This is episode 7, and is from the service for April 2nd, 2023, Palm and Passion Sunday. Scripture lessons are Matthew 27, verses 11 through 54, and the sermon is entitled, Son of the Father. We hope you enjoy the episode. Our scripture lesson tonight comes from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 27, verses 11 through 54. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Don't you hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man for today I've suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. Then he asked, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, his blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he wants to, for he said, I'm God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lamash Vakhthani. That is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once some of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave to him to drink. But the other said, Wait. Let us see whether elijah will come and save him then jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last at that moment the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the tomb the earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised after his resurrection they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many Now, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was God's son. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there is much that I could say about this story. There's much that anyone could say about it. There's a lot going on in it. We could talk first and perhaps most interestingly about Jesus's silence, that he speaks only two words in the entire um, trial with Pilate, two words in Greek, three in English. So you say, or you say so. We could talk about Pilate's wife's dream, which is recorded in no other gospel and is the source of a number of Christian legends about her converting and becoming a saint. We could talk about Pilate washing his hands of the judgment and of the crowd, somewhat unlikely, in unison, taking responsibility on themselves and their children for Jesus's death. We could talk about how that has been the painful source of many uh, anti-Semitic and anti-Jewish blood libels over the years. We could talk about Pilate's real reputation as a Jew-hating tyrant who was not at all reluctant to crucify people who disturbed the peace and who crucified so many people in uprisings that the Roman emperor recalled him for being too cruel. When a Roman emperor thinks you're being too violent, you have definitely crossed a line. We could talk about the crown of thorns. We could talk about how the crown is not really a Jewish image of royalty, but it is a Gentile one, and how that shows the nations, ironically, perhaps recognizing Jesus's kingship we could talk about the bandits crucified on either side neither of whom in this gospel or in mark's gospel is redeemed the way that one of them is in luke's gospel we could talk about his predictions about the temple and why people keep accusing him of threatening to destroy it we could talk about his last words words of anguish words that echo the 22nd Psalm, in fact, even the words of the priests, he trusted in God, let him deliver him, is from that same song that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We could talk about the curious fact reported only in Matthew's gospel about like other people coming out of the tombs and wandering around Jerusalem, which is a kind of crazy detail that no one ever talks about. And we could talk about the centurion's confession at the end. Truly, this was God's son. But the the point I would like to focus on tonight is this odd custom that is recorded of releasing a prisoner at the Passover. See, the Passover is a holiday of national liberation, It's a holiday that celebrates the exodus from Egypt, the liberation from bondage and slavery, and the beginning of national life as a covenant people of God. So it was always a politically fraught holiday for any occupier. And the Romans knew that nothing good happens at Passover when the people are stirred up. So perhaps as a mechanism to diffuse some of this tension, they had this kind of amnesty program. The crowd wants a prisoner released, they'll release that prisoner, but only that one. This is not a blanket amnesty, this is just easement uh, of a a kind. And so two people are placed before the crowd. Now, some interpreters see this as a way of Pilate hoping to get out of Having to crucify Jesus and the sort of the bind he's in between the religious leadership that desperately wants Jesus taken care of and Pilate, who's reluctant. That would make more sense if Pilate were in fact reluctant, but we see this here as a way that perhaps we'll let the crowd decide. And if the crowd wants Jesus released, then I don't have to say to the priests, I'm sorry, I don't want to. He can just say, well, the crowd got what the crowd asked for. But here the crowd calls instead for Barabbas. And we look at this choice, and we always see it as a choice between this criminal, because that's how he's described. In fact, in this text, he's described as a notorious criminal. And so we view it as the choice between a guilty person and a truly innocent person, right? So this is another example of Jesus the innocent, suffering at you know the penalties of the guilty for those christians who like to see jesus's salvation as a kind of what theologians call substitutionary atonement that is he's innocent but he takes the punishment of the guilty on himself this story fits perfectly well in that paradigm right because here's barabbas guilty he goes free jesus bears the punishment, but there's something else going on. Because Matthew does something interesting alone among the four evangelists, is that he provides Barabbas' first name, Jesus. Right? This is Jesus Barabbas and Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So right away, we're choosing between two people named Jesus. It's not that uncommon a name, it's about as common as the name Josh is today. But the other part of it is Barabbas' last name. Barabbas is just the Greek rendering of a Hebrew or Aramaic name that is likely Bar Abba, which literally means son of the father. So we have a choice here between Jesus, son of the father, and Jesus, Son of the Father. I hope you can hear the capital letters I am putting into the latter. So right away we have this interesting contrast between one man named Jesus, Son of the Father, and another, Jesus, whom we confess to be Son of the Father. But it goes beyond that. For while he is described in Matthew's Gospel as a notorious criminal, he is described in Mark's gospel as an insurrectionist, that is, as someone leading an armed uprising against Rome. And the two men who are crucified with Jesus are identified as bandits in our translation, but using a word that also means insurrectionist. So these are political prisoners. These are people who have, uh, who have engaged in armed rebellion against rome so it's the insurrectionist and then jesus on the other side but what's interesting and if you're paying attention even to that latinate word insurrectionist is that in greek and in latin they are both related to the word that means to stand up just like resurrection is in fact in greek the word for insurrection is literally an uprising, right? I mean, that's what it is in English, an uprising, a standing up, and that is also the word for resurrection, or at least a related word. So astasis is uprising, and anastasis, which means standing up again, is the word for resurrection. So the choice That we have here is between a Jesus, son of the father, who engages in an uprising, and a Jesus, son of the father, who rises up, and we pick the wrong one. We, the crowd, we pick the wrong one. The wrong Jesus, son of of the father who rises up. We pick the wrong one. And this is not unusual because we do this all the time. So this story is less a case of guilt versus innocence than it is of mistaken identity. We pick the wrong Jesus. See, we pick the violent one. We pick the one who is uh willing to employ the tools of violence and destruction. We pick the one who backs our political aspirations and our militaristic aspirations. We pick the one who's a-, a nationalist alongside us. We pick the one who embodies our sense of victimization. We pick the one who has the appeal to the mob, to the crowd. And whom do we reject? We reject the peaceful one. We reject the one who raised the, the servant of a Roman centurion. We reject the one who healed Gentiles and others. We reject the one who saw the law as more about compassion than as about order. We reject the one who cared For those no one else would, we reject the one who calls us to actually sacrifice something for the greater good rather than stand by to benefit from what he's going to do. This is not a problem limited to the Jerusalemite crowds during Holy Week. This is something we have done pretty much without fail for the last 2,000 years is that we see some kind of surface similarity, and we say that's the Jesus we want. That's the Jesus where we get everything we want. And meanwhile, the son of the father is left abandoned and suffering and taking on himself the consequences of our misdeed. Holy Week is a difficult time. <clears throat> see, if we do it wrong, as Christians have often done, We, at the end of the week, we go out into all the Jewish neighborhoods and take our revenge on the Jews for having done this. If we do it right, we stop and say, how did we get this so wrong? How can we not repeat this mistake going forward? How can we not see, how can we not project Christ unto those whom we're already sympathetic and let Christ be Christ and call us to do the changing. How can we learn the lessons of Holy Week? How can we take what must have been some measure of disappointment, right? Because you had this guy come in on Sunday and we all proclaimed him, the son of David, Hosanna, this is gonna be our deliverer. And then it doesn't turn out that way. How do we, instead of trying to make someone else be the Messiah we were hoping for, reinterpret and, reunder- and understand what the nature of the Messiah actually is? And what that means for our discipleship as those who would follow, those who are called into a life of humility, of faithful service, of justice the oppressed and the marginalized, of compassion for our enemies, and of peace-building. When we learn how to make that choice correctly, then perhaps perhaps the sins of Holy Week and of Good Friday will be put behind us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the St. Thomas the Doubter podcast, For more information about the podcast and our congregation, visit www.stthomascongregation.org. Thanks again, and we hope you will join us again soon.